Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Gunturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello everybody, I have Eric Allen with me today. He is raised in a broken home, battled addictions, jailed at 18, bankrupt at 21, only to turn everything around. 16 plus years sober, beautiful wife, two kids, podcaster, speaker and now helping up and upcoming MMA fighters and enterprise entrepreneurs get known and noticed online. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for your time. I know that we have been going back and forth for a long time and I'm really glad that I was able to get your time now. Oh, thank you so much for the invite. It's such an honor to be here. Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Please go ahead and tell us your story. Yes, I know I have heard it a little bit here and there, but not uh, the complete story. So if you can start like where you started your journey and why you are helping others right now. Yeah, I mean, I think what I what, you know, when I grew up, I, I had the typical household, right? You know, we went to Sunday school, I played little league, you know, uh, but my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. And I never heard that word before. I didn't know anyone who had gotten a divorce before. And then when I, they got divorced, my mom immediately got together with this guy who I remember like the very first date uh, was very physically abusive. And for some reason, my mom stayed with this guy. And I remember like there'd be times where they'd be arguing and I'd be looking through the outside window of our house into their bedroom and he'd be hitting her with a cordless phone, like just crazy, you know? And I didn't understand why my mom stayed. Cops would come, my mom would never just uh, press charges. And they did the smart thing, they got pregnant. And then they decided to move us from Washington state where I grew up in, in Eastern Washington, a place called Tri-Cities out there. And they moved us to small town, Montana, Stevensville, Montana, population 1200 people. And it had uh, five acres of this property they rented. And then there was a house on the top of the property. And the house had three bedrooms. There's one for them, one for my brother, who's just a couple months old at this time. And then one for my sister, who's four years younger than me. So I literally said, Eric, you get to live in the garage. I had this plastic tarp at the end of my bed that separated my bed from the truck that pulled in and the you know, firewood uh, that was stacked against the wall there. But you know, luckily, my half of the garage did have a fireplace in it that would keep me semi-warm when it would get to negative degree weather in the, in the winters of Montana. So it was kind of crazy. Uh, but you know, the abuse didn't stop. In fact, it got worse because we were further away from police stations. We were further away from people that could get to there to help my mom if something was to happen. You know, and they came up arguing one night. It wasn't anything different than any other night. I was 13 years old and you know, brushed my teeth. And I felt in that moment that God was speaking to me and he's like, dude, you got to see what's going on. There's, there's some stuff going on, you know? So the way the house was set up was behind me was the pantry to the uh, garage where I stayed. And so as I turned around the corner to look down the hallway, I saw him on top of my mom, boom, 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 just one shot after another. And so I said, well, I got to get this guy off. And I walked up and I grabbed a cast iron pan and I swung as hard as I could. And I split the back of his head open. And he he turned around. It didn't knock him out. He said, what then? As he said that, I took another swing and split his forehead open. And he was so drunk, he didn't get knocked out. But I had fallen over that second time I had swung. And I remember him standing up over me and he was bleeding down his face and he was starting to yell. My mom jumps up, lands like six punches in a row to the face and blood splats on the wall. Cops show up, take him to jail. My mom doesn't press charges. I had three months left in my freshman year of high school at that point. And I actually got kicked out of the house for that incident. So I had to go stay with my friend, his name is Forrest, and stayed on his hardwood floor. I slept on the hardwood floor at this guy's house uh, for the last three months of my freshman year. And that incident really set me on this path of destruction for the next 10 years of my life. Usually, I mean, if you remember my story, even I have been physically abused a lot. Right. 
it's not something that every kid will jump on to help their parent, whoever that is into that kind of a situation. What was your thought process or why did you choose to do that? I, you know what? I've never been a fighter. Like I did a little bit of karate or boxing. I watched like, you know, ninja movies as a kid and pay-per-view and stuff like that with Mike Tyson and things like that. But I've never been an aggressive person, but I felt in that moment that God was pushing me to that moment to, to make a stop. Who knows how far that would have gone had I not jumped in. And so I just felt in that moment, I had to do something, whether it was this to distract him, to get my mom to escape or put an end to it completely, you know, and it could have gotten much worse. Like I probably had he not turned around or had he, you know, he could have gotten killed by those hits who knows. Yeah. Right. But I knew that I had to put a stop to it. And I just felt it in my heart that I gotta, I gotta go do that, whatever it takes. Instead you were kicked out of the house. So what yeah. does that give you there? Weren't you yeah. scared that you're going to get into this kind of situations before you even acted? No, I, I didn't even think about the, the repercussions of, okay. of, you know, when I hit that, I just knew that I, if I didn't stop, it could end up worse. And I was tired of the, the verbal abuse that I was getting and tired of seeing my mom get beat up at that point. And so, you know, I'm sure that he had a big influence in my mom's decision to kick me out. And basically, you know, I just stayed with my buddy for the next three months and then moved back to live with my dad for my sophomore through senior year of high school. And it was at that point where, you know, my dad rented a house for him and I, and he'd put 20 bucks in the cup money for, for lunch. So I had five bucks a day to spend on lunch. Most of the time that would go to packs of cigarettes or drugs or whatever I could get my hands on. But then I had like, you know, a hunger man meals in the freezer. I had cereal in the house with milk and my dad would go and stay with his girlfriend. So I basically didn't have any accountability, didn't have adult supervision. Mm. My job was to only go to school. That was my only kind of requirement. I had to go to school and I had to pass. So, you know, I got a public transportation bus pass and I would take the school or go to school but I was getting stoned before school. I was getting stoned after school. I was getting stoned at lunch. You know, I wasn't paying attention to my grades. I barely graduated. I think I had a 2.4 or 2.8 GPA, something like that. But, you know, throughout that time I was doing, I was smoking a pot. I was taking acid. I was taking mushrooms. I was, you know, going into dextromorphine cough syrup because it would make you hallucinate. I was smoking hash and opium. And then my senior year of high school, I went on a camping trip with some buddies and we got the cops came and raided our campsite. And I, I owned a bong at the time, uh, which is illegal in the state of Washington at that time. But it, of course, it's not now. But in 1998, it was. And so I got arrested. I actually had to go to jail for 24 hours, black and white chain gang outfit on. I weighed 145 pounds. And literally, my dad didn't know for like 10 years because I wrote a note. Hey, I'm going to stay at Danny's house. I'll see you later. Because I knew that I, he would not call. And okay. so I, I left school, went and checked myself into jail and got out on Saturday. Wow. That's quite a story. <laughs> Pretty crazy. How, yeah. Have you ever got a chance to talk to your mom about that night? Many times, many times. And, and my mom and I are not close. Uh, you know, she's, she's definitely one of those people that, uh, you know, I, I, she continues to get with and stay with people that are abusers and uh, a negative. And she talks about people, uh, in a negative way. And, and so I just had to step away from that. And so I, you know, I moved to another state to get away from my family, you know? Uh, okay. Yeah. Are you so, close to your father now? Uh, we text a couple of times a month, but, uh, really not. I mean, I'm, I mean, he's a good dude. He's, he's had his struggles over the years and, you know, he's gone back and forth between uh, being an addict and not being an addict and things like that. Um, but I mean, I think overall he's got a good heart. He just, uh, you know, I have to choose to put my family first. 
And I don't know if he's going to be sober or not when I see him sometimes. So I have to, you know, I had to take that step away. And so uh, I don't really see him that much. Um, again, he lives in Washington. I live out in Idaho. So, you know, maybe a couple of times a year we'll see him. But, uh, you know, I, when I, my, my senior year, two weeks after I graduated high school, I woke up to a post-it note on my bathroom mirror that said, you can't comply with house rules. You have 48 hours to get out. So I got kicked out again. Right. And so then I was like, crap, I got to be a, an adult real quick. And so I started living with whoever I could live with. And basically for the next two years between the ages or three years, between the ages of 18 and 21, I moved 21 times. I was living on couches of here, three weeks there, two days here, seven days here, you know, wherever I could stay and basically living off of credit cards. Cause I couldn't hold a job. I wasn't responsible. You know, I'd stay for a job for three, four months and, you know, barely show up and things like that. So I was living off of credit cards. And it caught up to me by the time I'm 21, I was $28,000 in debt and had to file bankruptcy. Wow. I'm sure like a lot of kids right now would be in the same situation. Like, yeah, looking at their moms uh, into domestic violence kind of a situation. So sure. how do you suggest, or, or like what would be your suggestion for them? How to handle those kind of situations? Uh, for the mom or for the, the son? The son. Mm. You know, I, I think that, as a son, you, you, it's built in you to want to protect your mom. Right. Yes. And so I think if you can get them to, if you can convince them to get out of that situation, do that, do whatever it takes. Right. Um, but if you have to step in and physically, physically like remove them or physically do some harm to somebody who's hurting your mom, like I'm all for it. If you're a man and you're beating up a woman, then you should be beat up. Like Ooh. that's just, uh, I, I don't care what you were taught or not, like if you were taught that by your dad or whatnot, like men should not hit women. And so if you're the son in that situation, I think you do need to step up and try to get in the middle of that and get out or get yourself out of that situation. Because at that point, your mom has a, a choice to either stay or go, right? And if you can protect them, awesome. But if they continue to go down that path of, hey, I'm, I'm just going to stay here and continue with this abuse, there's only so much you can do as the son in that situation where you can either watch it or you can kind of step back and go, okay, I need to live for me. Right. And so I need to make a choice to do that. Absolutely. And you also mentioned that you were, you were bankrupt. Is that the credit card thing that you were mentioning that you were bankrupt at 21? Totally. Yeah. Oh, I think okay. I had like 10 different credit cards. The first credit card I got was a Sears credit card. And I bought a handy cam Sony camera so I could watch my buddy's skateboard. That was what I did. And I was like, what? I'm going to pay 20 bucks a month on this thing. Shoot. You know? And then I was like, I can go get a credit card at JC Penney's and all oh, Visa. Oh my gosh. Everyone's like, give me these credit cards and not even thinking about the repercussions of that. And then uh, of course I was able to go get a car. Uh, when I was 21 years old, I had a 1998 Acura Integra, which was the nicest car, car I owned. It was leather. It was real low miles. And I only paid like my car payment was like 200 bucks a month on it. But because of my age and where I lived in Seattle and because of that car, my insurance on that car was like $450 a month yeah. and I couldn't afford it. And so I ended up just giving that up in the bankruptcy as well. Hmm. About uh, the situation that I was talking before uh, about the son situation. Yeah. Yes. If the mother chooses to stay back, like your situation, where can these kids get help from? If they wanted to really leave the house and wanted to take care of themselves, yes, as you said, like, yeah, I have to take care of myself. So if they want, they decide that they want to take care of themselves, where can they get the help from? That's a great question. I think 
it, it all leads down to the people that you surround yourself with. And so what I, when I finally woke up from this mess of a life that I was living, I found guys that were living the life that I wanted to live. And I purposely put myself in situations where I could become their friend or I could purposely hang around them. Mm. And so I think if you're the son in that situation, you want to get out of that. You got to go find men that are living a life that maybe you want to live, or maybe they're the dad that, that you always wanted, or maybe they're the, the person in your life, that mentor in your life that could be somebody that could help you out. Right. Uh, whether that's at a church or a, uh, you know, a recreation uh, center or a teacher or something like that, that's that, that, you know, their heart, you know, they're kind, you know, that they're going to help. And I think as a son watching that, if you can go get around those people mm. that, are, that are living the life that you want or living, being that mentor, the person that you want, Go and be around them and get out of that situation. So for me, my escape early on was my buddy, Dave. Like I met Dave in first grade and his family is amazing. And, you know, he lived up the street from me. So anytime that, you know, and he, so he saw my family before the divorce. He saw me after the divorce, you know, and, and, and I've known him still to this day, 37 years later, he's my best friend, but his family, I would escape my house whenever the abuse was happening or whenever there was craziness going on early on not with my dad, my dad was not physically, but with, you know, my mom's boyfriend, the one who beat her up, I would escape the house and go and be at his house. I had spent so much time at his family's house. And still to this day, I consider his mom and dad, my mom and dad, hmm. like, you know, so go find people, go find friends, parents that will just love on you where you're at and not be judgmental and things like that. And so I think as a son, you've got to kind of escape that mentally. If the mom is in a situation where she doesn't want to get out of that, she's not going to listen to you. You have to do you at some point, you got to go, okay, she's got to make a decision for her own. I, I need a better life. So I'm going to go find people who can mentor me, who can be around me, that can give me positive vibes and energy uh, versus just putting me down all the time. Hmm. You were married for 16 plus years and the married couple usually get into some kind of fights or like, yeah, sure. talking over each other and everything. How yeah. do you handle that kind of a situation coming from this background? Um, it's not that you have to follow the pattern, but most of the people does follow the pattern. Totally. Yeah. yeah. When you I, said like, yeah, if you are raising a hand on a woman, you're not a man at all. So how do you yeah. handle that kind of a situation? Yeah. It, you know, here's the thing is my wife and I, we met, we married real quick. Uh, she came into my Starbucks one day, asked me to go to a church event. I said, Hey, absolutely. I was alone and depressed. And I went And a month later, you know, I woke up in my buddy's basement surrounded by, you know, a bunch of guys we had just been out partying with. And I gave my life to Christ on Easter morning in my buddy's basement. No one knew I was there. No one there knew Christ, but I felt God saying, man, you got to make some changes. You're going to end your life quick. So I gave my life to Christ on Easter morning, 2004. And a month later, my wife now, uh, we were dating and now we've married for 17 years in 2022. We both came into the marriage. Um, we went through premarital counseling first, but we both came in the marriage coming from broken homes. She mm. came from a broken side. I came from a broken home. So we knew exactly what we didn't want in a marriage, yeah. but we also brought in junk that we had to work through. Yes. You know, I, I went through marriage counseling, or I mean, I went through counseling uh, after I was married because I wanted to know why was I being defensive? Why was I being angry? Why was I, you know, upset about things or why wasn't I being the best husband that I could? And so I personally, I wanted to seek out help and kind of, I've never really talked to anybody about my situation, never talked to anybody about what had happened before. And so that was a big relief for me. I, I at first I was like, oh, who needs counseling? Hmm. Right. But I went there and it helped so much. And so my wife and I, we just spent the first five years just getting to know each other. Uh, hmm. We didn't have kids. We, we traveled, we went camping, we went down to Mexico twice and we built homes for people. We just wanted to give back as much as we could. And we got to know each other. And then we had kids, we decided that, you know what, when we said, I do, we mean it. 
Um, you know, obviously the percentages are skyrocketing. Like if you come from a divorced family, you're likely to get divorced. And if you have both male, uh, you know, wife and husband, both come from a divorced family, it's higher. The percentage is even higher that you're going to get divorced. Hmm. So we, you know, between my wife and I, our parents have been married like four or five times, you know? Hmm. So we came into this knowing exactly what we didn't want to do. But we also said, when we say I do, we meant it. And yeah, we've been married for almost 17 years. We're never going to agree on everything. There's been arguments, there's been fights, right? Like not physically, because I would never do that. Yeah. But you know, our kids, they see us argue, they see us disagree on things, but they also see us make up. Like, so I'll be slow dancing with my wife in the kitchen or I'll kiss her or hug her in the kitchen, right? And, and I do that for my kids. They kid, Our kids have seen us argue. Our kids have seen us make, make up from yeah. that yeah. because they know that, and we've told them, we're like, hey, you know what? We're not gonna always agree on things. We're gonna get angry. We're gonna raise our voices sometimes there's one thing that will hold us together and that's our relationship with Christ and that's our relationship with each other. And we're never going to break that bond. We are changing or we're breaking the chains of addiction, abuse, rejection, and divorce in my family going forward. We're changing the legacy. So our kids will never have to experience that. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. When uh, you said you are working with the people that are going through uh, the divorce are like now breaking chains of divorce, abuse, and addiction. Mm-hmm. Abusive people, for example, some people doesn't see it as an abuse. They see like, yeah, the other person is way too much in love with them and they have to put up with whatever they are doing. What is that you would tell them that is actually abuse and it is not love? I think if someone is serving you, Mm. like, right, you know, if they're serving you they're if they, well, let me me back up. If, if you're in a relationship and you're being hurt at all physically, Mm. that's the wrong relationship for you period. If they shove you, that's a wrong relationship with you. If they hit you, that's definitely a wrong relationship with you, right? Uh, for you. So if, if you're, whether male or female, like you should not be getting physically abused at all. It just shouldn't happen. And if that starts, I'm not a forgiving person when it comes to that stuff. Hmm. You know, like, yes, I'll forgive them, but I wouldn't stay with that person, right? So you could forgive. There's a difference between forgive and forget, right? So uh, you can forgive them. But if they're, if you're in a situation where you're getting physically abused at all, hmm. shoved, hit, get out, like get away from that person. That's a very toxic person and very likely that they will not change. The, the percentage is probably very high that they would not change. Yes. Um, and I think if you go into the marriage and you both want to serve the other person, like how to make that person happy, put them, you know, for me, it's my relationship with Christ and then my relationship with my wife. So whether you're a believer in Christ or whatever religion or doesn't matter, but if you, if you serve your wife or your spouse uh, and make sure that they're having an awesome day, you know, serve them, do things for them. And don't be selfish, like give back, give as much as you can in that relationship. Uh, then I think that's what makes that marriage strong. You know, for me this year, I started this cool thing and it's been fun to do. I write my wife a post note every single day. Now I've missed a couple of days and I've made up for it. I'll write it next run, but 2021, I set a goal. I wanted to write my wife a post-it note every single day. I put it on the mirror. I try to come up with, you know, different things and different notes and thank you for this, or you're awesome, man. I'm the luckiest guy alive. And I slap it on the mirror. First thing she says when she turns on the light, in the bathroom is a note for me saying, Hey, I love you. You know? So I just think you have to think of ways that you can make your, your spouse feel, feel special. Absolutely. And when you talk about physical abuse, is that only physical abuse that you think as an abuse are even mental, verbal, and sometimes it even be financial abuse. Totally. All of the above. Yeah. So, I mean, if someone is taking advantage of you in any way or hurting you verbally, 
like you need to get out. Like there's, there's just not stuff that you should deal with or handle or or not handle. I guess there's not stuff that you should put up with. You know, if if someone's degrading you and always blaming you for things that you know, you're not doing or coming in and they're just a jerk, right? Like, and now I think there's stuff that can be helped. Like if that's just the situation where it's just a, a, a verbal abuse. Yeah, that sucks. And do you want to try to go to marriage counseling with that person? Maybe like, maybe you do want to try to, to try to save the marriage and try to get everybody on the same page. Right. Um, but they, everybody has to be in the same agreement, right? Like if, if one doesn't want to go, well, that's your sign, like leave that relationship. And I'm not a big fan of divorce, but if you're getting abused, if you're getting hurt, if someone's hurting themselves or hurting you, then you need to get out. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, in, like you said, financial abuse, if someone's using you for your money, verbal abuse, you know, whatever it is, you need to get a green card, whatever, like, you need to get out of that situation. Yep. And now you are helping other people, like, how do you help other people? What is your work with other people when they're, they are in these kind of situations? You know, I just want to encourage people, you know, uh, you know, I think if people are in those situations, you know, I want, I want to be able to help them to, to realize that our past and mm-hmm. other people's opinions do not define our future. Mm-hmm. And we can make a change at any point in our life where instantly we can decide to quit drugs. Instantly, we can end a relationship. Instantly, we can make a change to move to another state. You just have to take action. Like if you think in deep down in your heart, you're like, man, this is not right. Something's not right about this relationship. Something is not right about this situation. You know that you feel it in your gut. Listen to that and, and move on it and take action on it and decide to make a change. I think too many people get in the situation where they get stuck or they feel like they're stuck, right? They're like, man, I can't leave this relationship because I'm, I'm not, I don't have a job or I'm not going to be able to get a job and provide for myself or, you know, I have too much invested in this marriage or too much invested in this relationship, right? So I, what I love to help people is realize that, you know what, if you decide to make, you know, a change, you have to go and do it. It sounds simple and it is, but mentally you've got to get over that roadblock and go, man, I know that I'm ready for change and I've got to do whatever it takes to make that. So you have to go surround yourself with people that are living that life that you want to live and just being in their presence is going to lift you up. It's going to motivate you to be a better person. And there's so many resources online, in person go find those resources that will help you. And I think that will, that will help your life be better to help other people be, you know, better around you. Absolutely. And when you are going through these addictions and you wanted to come out of it, you battled those addictions. How yeah. did you manage those things? Not everybody would be able to come out of that yet. Their determination might be high that they wanted to come out, but it's not easy. It, it can be, um, it can be easy if you decide to do it and then take action. So a lot of people, it's a mental strength, right? If they're addicted to meth, what are the chances that they could quit tomorrow if they wanted to? They could if they really wanted to, um, but it's a mental strength thing, right? So for me, I did a lot of heavy drugs. I was an alcoholic. I was doing a lot of drugs, but I woke up one morning and decided I wanted, I didn't want to do anymore. And for me- It affects physically as well is what I heard. So how is that easy if it is affecting physically? I mean, I have seen people, they get up, they'll be shaking so much. They can't stand properly. They'll mm-hmm. be sweating way too much. They totally. can't do anything. They can't concentrate, focus. So how did you deal with that? I relied on the strength from God. For me, I told God like, hey man, I'm giving my life to you. Take it all. I put it at your feet. I put my addictions at your feet. I put my finances at your feet. I put my marriage at, my, at your feet, my, my future marriage, because that's when I was. Like, I'll, whatever it is I, that I'm battling with, God, I put this at your feet. I want you to take care of it. And I never once 
decided or felt like after that day that I needed to go smoke a cigarette, that I needed to go do drugs. I instantly felt it like never wanted to go back and I never have, you know, so there are things that you can do mentally to mm. go. If, if you're strong enough mentally that you can instantly quit, you, you can break addictions like that. Now, if you're in the wrong environment, if you're surrounding yourself with people that are continuing to be abusers, continuing to do drugs, continuing to drink in front of you, that is going to hurt your chances of getting better instantly, right? So if you want to get out of that situation, if you want to stop doing drugs, you've got to change the environment. You've got to go find people that are living the life that you want. You got to go find people that are sober, go find them and surround yourself with them and be in their presence and don't be the weird guy, right? But actually show up and, and try to be their friend and open up the doors to people coming into your life that are living a better life, you know, than you had before. And I think if you can surround yourself with the right people, you can get motivated and mentally you'll grow in your strength to be able to stop addictions instantly. You mentioned that you help MMA uh, fighters and entrepreneurs. What is that to do with the line of divorce abuse and everything? Yeah, it's so funny. So I love talking with people. I love networking with people and I'm fascinated with people's stories. And so I've been a fan of MMA fighters. I love the respect that they have for each other. 99% of the fights at MMA, it's all about respect. It's nothing personal, right? And so I've always been a fan. I started Top Rate MMA as an apparel company in 2012. My wife came up with a name and we made a lot of business mistakes. We bought a bunch of inventory, didn't sell. We donated a bunch. And then in 2015, I got bored with it and literally put it up for sale. And, uh, you know, one guy called me, offered me a couple grand and it was in that call. I decided that I wasn't ready to quit. So I started the top rate of my podcast at a walk-in closet in my house. I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to ask fighters, like, why do you want to get in a cage and get punched in the face? Like, what does that drive, you know? And so over the years, humbly, we're considered the number one MMA podcast out here in the Northwest. And so I talk with up and coming MMA fighters and early pro fighters, and I love to hear their story and, and kind of find out like, what are they doing? What's, what's got, what got them into MMA and things like that. And then in 2018, I came across a guy that changed my life. I listened to, I found a guy online named Ed Milet and that guy, I was just hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, I started watching all his videos. He was speaking directly to me. He was speaking business and entrepreneur, how to live your life and morning routines and things like that. And then I got his book. And I was like hooked. I was like, dude, this guy's awesome. I'm to listen to all his content. Well, then in 2019, he, and really I started my second podcast because of Ed, because he was talking to so many cool people. I'm like, dude, I want to start a podcast. I want to talk with entrepreneurs. And almost the same thing. I want to ask them why they want to get punched in the face. Hopefully not physically, but verbally. You know, we get no's, we get rejected. We go to we, bankrupt. We get failures, but we keep going. What is that, that that keeps us going? So I wanted to ask entrepreneurs that. So I started the Eric Allen show. Actually, used to be called the Bearded Biz Show. Um, I just have a little bit of a beard, and so my wife, they'll be in the salon, go one day. Hey, uh, are you sure you want to keep it the the name the Bearded Biz? People <laughs> think it's they're getting on a beard show, and I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Uh, so we changed the name to the Eric Allen Show. But I actually won a phone call with Ed Milet in 2019 off his Instagram. He issued a challenge. We had to submit a one minute video via stories of you know why we're passionate about being successful. What are we fighting for? And I submitted that to him and I won and I got to have, a, uh, supposed to be 20 minutes. We ended up talking for 30 minutes, just him and I on, on zoom. And I was able to record part of that and release that as episode 12 of my podcast. And now I've done about 130 on that show. Uh, but, co but combined between my two shows, I've released almost 400 episodes. And um, so that's what they're talking. That's what they're about. They each come out weekly. So it's a lot of work on my end, but 
I do everything myself. I do editing and all that. And I work full-time job. <laughs> now I have to ask you, what is the drive for you to have that success? Yeah. So for me, it's freedom. You know, I want the freedom to at some point walk away from my full-time job. And I don't want to have to ask for permission to go to my kid's sports game or ask for permission to go have lunch with my wife in the middle of the day. Right. Um, you know, part of my routine is I have a vision wall in my office. So I wake up at 4 a.m. six days a week and I come upstairs and I look at my vision wall. I look at the picture of the property that I'll have. I look at the, a big fat dollar bill and I know money's not everything, but it helps you advance. Right. And so, you know, my goal is to is to be a millionaire. So I look at that and I say, I am statements. I am a millionaire. I'm the proud owner of 20 acres and my dream house sits on the middle of those 20 acres. You know, I look at pictures of my family and I speak to my family every morning. I look at quotes that motivate me from my, you know, guys that I follow, Tony Robbins, Ed Milet, you know, Zig Ziglar, stuff like that. And I've got one of the funny things that's on there and people laugh every time I come up here, but it's a cartoon drawing. It says, if I can't pee off my front porch, my neighbors are too close. And that thing, because I want the, <laughs> I want the property, right? And, and so people are like, why do you have that? I'm like, because I want enough property that I can do that at some point. Just say, you know what? I have you the property. Can do that. Yeah. And it's not to brag like I have property. I actually want that property because I want my family and future generations of my family to be able to escape from the city. And I want them to have this peace on this property away from the craziness that happens in the world where they can just come to my property and they can, they can stay there. They can have fun. They can ride dirt bikes or whatever it is. Right. I want that property to be that escape for people um, that we can, you know, help people who are in need. Maybe our friends are running out of money and they ran into a rent situation. Hey, come stay at our house on our property. Right. Like I want to be able to have that property to use it as a tool to impact people. And that's really that big drive for me. Amazing. Amazing. So what is, um, success to you success is being with my family and being able to provide a roof over their head and nothing material right like i don't even i don't need computers i don't need phones but if i can protect my family and i can be with my family and see them on a daily basis um that's success for me you know marriage staying in our staring staring married to my wife for you know 50 60 years that's success raising my kids to be good people that they just love on people like that's success for me. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to just be able to always provide for my family. You know, one of the goals that my wife and I had when she was pregnant was I wanted her to be home a full-time mom. And so my daughter was like six months old and I had finally got a job that made enough money for her to come home. And she's been home ever since with our kids and our kids are 11 and eight now. Okay. You do a lot of giveaways from the starting you, you did that you, you were helping other people, whether it is like, yeah, your word passing on or like your knowledge, your wisdom, you also did materialistic giveaways. And mm -hmm. I don't think you talk about it anywhere at all. That might be a humble way to put it that you don't want to talk about it, but what is that other work that you actually do? Uh, for my full-time job? No, the giveaways part of it. Oh, giveaways. So I, I love to just, you know, give money back. You know, I love to help with people whenever I can, you know, money helps. Right. And, and some people are low on rent or, or not, but I love to be able to give back. You know, we give back to hire heroes USA. So part of the affiliate programs that I have on my website, I donate 20% of that uh, affiliate income that I make from my website to an organization called hire heroes USA. And they help veterans and their families transition back into the workplace. You know, I'm not a military vet myself, but I'm very proud. Um, I wish that I would have. 
I'm too old. By the time that I was, I smartened up and realized that I should be more respectful and, and honoring to those that are serving and fighting for our, our freedom on a daily basis. I was kind of out of age uh, to go and join the military, but I just wanted to be able to give back. So I give back in monetization form to Higher Heroes USA, great organization. And, you know, my wife and I, when we get paid, we purposely take a big chunk of that and we put it into an account. We just call it the charity account. And whenever we're running into people, maybe we run into someone at the store and their credit card gets declined. Well, I've got money that I'm going to pay for the groceries. You know, I want to be prepared to be able to, to provide and help people whenever I can. And so I never want to be in a situation where, you know, like that uh, one lady at a grocery store, her card declined, but I was like, I had money in my charity account. So I knew that whatever the bill was, mm-hmm. it was 200, 400, 500 bucks, whatever, I'll pay for your groceries. Don't go running back home and try to get your money. I'll take care of it. You know, I want to be able to do that for people. And so that's really a big thing for us is my wife and I are on the same page. We just want to be able to give back and provide it and impact the world. Not everybody will get that kind of a thought uh, to do that. Of course, like paying the bill. Yes, I have seen people do that. Mm. But to have a kind of a thought process, how to trigger that kind of a thought process, what do you suggest are like, how, how do you think that that can be done from other people? I, I think that if we, if we start reading books about like successful people, and whether it's success marriage, successful entrepreneur, successful doctors, whatever it is, uh, whatever it is that you're passionate about. If you're reading stories of people that are successful, whatever it is that you're passionate about, you'll find this common theme where they all gave back in some way. Maybe they gave their time. They went and served at, you know, local, um, you know, women's shelter and they gave, you know, packed clothes or packed food or whatnot for Christmas. Like, I think there's this common theme, like if you want to help people, uh, or if you need help, then you need to go help people, right? And and I'm not saying that like financially, maybe it's time, right? Yeah. So I think if you can be selfless for a little bit and just go help people, if you see someone on the road struggling or someone needs a, you know, they're holding up a sign and, or maybe you see someone at the store and they're like, man, I'm working two jobs. I'm trying to pay bills and I'm your server. And, you know, just ask people their name. You know, I think that's what helps brighten the day. So it doesn't need to be a monetization thing where if you want to help somebody out, make them smile. Like when I wake up in the morning, I know that as soon as I open my eyes, I've got to win because God gave me another day to see my family. That's win number one. And then I jump out of bed and I make my bed. There's two wins in 15 seconds. It's going to be an awesome day. Right. And then I set this goal every single day. I want to make sure that I'm putting a smile on someone's face. Well, that's in person or at the store or via zoom. If I'm at the store and they've got a name tag on, I'm calling them by their name because that's not there just so we can complain. It's there so we can call them by their name. Oh man, thanks Jim for re- ringing out my groceries. Oh man, thanks so much for packing that bag today, John, or whatever it is, right? Call them by their name because it'll put a smile on their face. People love to hear their name, right? So if you're if they're your server, man, hey, what's going on, Jill? Like call them by their name, be, be nice to people. And that'll just put a smile on your face. So I think like people who want to help out and if your life wants to get lifted, go help somebody else because you'll get so much joy out of helping others and it'll lift your spirits up just to be able to give back. Absolutely. And one first when we met or like, yeah, when I saw your post, we spoke about this just before starting this interview as well. You mentioned that you wanted to be in 100 different shows. And I believe you you hit 106 today yes. with my interview. How yes. does that feel like that journey for you? Oh, it's been so much fun to just meet so many people, you know, to set a goal early on this year to, to be a guest on 100 podcasts this year. It was kind of daunting at first because last year I set a goal to be on, on 50 podcasts and I only did 26 and I was like, 
well, that kind of sucked. I didn't even put any effort in that thing, you know? So like, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do a hundred this year. So I, I mean, I literally put like this total stretch goal for me to get on a hundred shows this year. And, uh, you know, when I hit a hundred, it was awesome, but I'm, I didn't want to stop at hundred. So that's why I'm continuing to do shows and, you know, been blessed to, to be on your show. This is my 106th interview of the year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited because at the end of 2021, I'm gonna take all the shows that I was on this year and I'm going to release a cool video and have links out to all the shows that I was on and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's just been a fun journey to meet so many different people. And I love podcasting. So I love meeting other podcasters like, Oh, how do you do this? Oh, how do you do that? Like, I love it. It's been fun. That's that's so awesome. Congratulations for hitting that number, even going beyond the number that you put the target at. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a fun journey. Definitely. I believe so. Yes. I, I can see that light or happiness in your face when you're mentioning that. Yes. Oh, it's been, you're all yeah. lit up to say that. Yes, I have yeah. done that. Yeah. I, and I think we have to stack the wins, right? Like, like I said, you know, open up, you know, eyes, there's win number one, make your bed, there's win number two. Like, find those small wins early on in the morning and that your mindset doesn't know the difference between a big win and a little win. They just know that your, your mind just knows that you're winning. So if you do something small, like if you say you're going to do something, go do that. And your mind goes, yes, we got to win. Right. I'm going to eat breakfast today, eight o'clock. You eat breakfast at eight o'clock. Boom. Your mind goes, yes. Right. Oh, I'm going to go pick up the trash today. And you go do that. And your brain goes, yes. Right. So stack those wins throughout the day and your mind will go, man, this is awesome. It's going to be a great day. Right. Stack those wins. And, you know, like I said, get into a routine for me. Like I said, I wake up 4am six days a week and people are like, why the heck do you wake up to 4am? And here's the thing is my desire to be successful is bigger than my desire to sleep. And so I want to be able to do that. And and I have more time of the day now to put a smile on someone's face. That's why I get up at four. What time do you go to bed? I am not a party animal. So usually like nine, nine 30, I'm out. Like uh, I'm snoozing. <laughs> For most of the people, nine, nine 30 is still evening actually. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And my wife and I are opposite. So she's kind of a night person and I'm more the morning person. But the reason I get up at 4 a.m. Is, is it's beyond the, the excitement of like being able to get things done and grow, you know, my personal relationship with Christ and personal development, stuff like that is if I get up early, and I work on that stuff, I don't have to eat into family time. Mm-hmm. So five o'clock in the afternoon, that's when I'm off my other job. And then I shut everything down. I really try to be present with my family. So at five o'clock, it's very important to me uh, that I go down and be with my family. My office is upstairs and I try to just shut everything off. But if I, if I was getting up at eight o'clock, uh, to, then I'm eating into that family time to work on myself. So if I get up at four, I'm not eating into that family time. I can just, at five o'clock, I can call it good. What is the other work that you do? You just mentioned like you have to shut down my other work. Yeah. So I work for a small startup. It's a swag management platform. And, uh, you know, then I do some sales on the side. So I do laser engraving. I do uh, content creation. So brands will send me their products and want me to do videos like box openings or how-to videos, explainer videos. So I do a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I, I do some work with some uh, other companies like Lightspeed VT. I try to help them out and, you know, refer folks to those guys as well. It's a great company that Bradley owns. And so I love just being involved with people. But yeah, the, my main job that pays the bills currently, it's a small startup that I, uh, you know, they, they know I do podcasting. They know that I'm on podcast tour and stuff like that. So it's a great company to work for. I don't have anything wrong, you know, bad to say about them. But, you know, my end goal is to really just be a full-time entrepreneur and be able to do this on my own. All the best for that. And yes, you are going to reach there. Is there any closing note that you want to tell to the audience? Oh man, I would just say this, like for anybody out there, if you're struggling, 
or if you're wanting to be a better person, there's two rules that I have that I always love to say. One, turn off the news. Don't listen to the news. I turned off the news four or five years ago. It was the best decision I ever made, right? Turn off the news. Your life will be way better. And then also it's not our judge. It's not my job to judge anybody. So I think if we just stopped in the world, like quit judging people for whatever it is. So I don't care who they voted for, if they're a masker or not, vaccination person or not, sexual preference. It doesn't matter to me. My job is just to love you where you're at. And so if people just love people where they're at, man, the world will be a way better place. And what is the second one? Yeah. You said two things. One is switch out the news. What is the second one? Oh, the second one is just uh, um, just love people where they're at. Like, ah. Yeah. Yep. So turn off the news and just love people that quit judging people. You know, it's not my job to judge people. So I would say, you know, uh, if you're out there, just if you stop judging people for even try it for one day, right? Yes. Just love people where at. Say hi to everybody you can, right? And, and just love people where they're at. And if we can, like, social media is so filled with people like starting arguments and oh man, I can do this and do that, right? Or I'm voting for this and I'm doing this, right? And people get all fired up. But I think if we just quit judging people and we just loved on people, man, the world would be so much better. So turn off the news and just love people where they're at. Now that you said about the judgment, I have one question. I know yeah. I'm extending Dan the last question. So no, yeah. You're all good. <laughs> so when whenever people look at the other people, that is very common to judge. And sometimes you you don't even know that they are judging and it might hurt the other person. Even you might think it is just a comment or like a funny thing to say it. For example, let's say um, a dark-skinned person or like a fat person, you just say like, hey, fatty, come here. Yeah. The reason I wanted to pick those two examples is like I've been bullied like that throughout my life. Mm. People say like, yeah, you're a fat, you, you are like, yeah, you're dark-skinned. To my culture, to my uh, Indian community, I'm dark-skinned for them. Mm-hmm. So for the other person, it's just a comment that it's just fun. It's not like really that they don't think that it is hurting or not. But for years, I carried that a lot. It yeah. hurts a lot. So yeah. how do you say that people should take those judgments? The people who are telling it's common, they are going to say it regardless whether you are hurting or not. They are never going to stop. You can't correct every person in the world. Instead, you, are, you can correct your thought process by how you take them. So how, what do you suggest for that? First of all, we need to understand that hurt people hurt people. Yes. So if they're, if they're being a bully to you, they're hurting inside from something or if they're, you know, physically hurting you, they're probably, it was given to them, right? Like they're just, that's all they know and not, not making an excuse at all. Hmm. But what I'm saying is they're doing that because that's what they were taught or they're hurt. Right. And, and, and they should be stopped. Right. Absolutely. But I think if you're the person who's getting bullied, you're the person who's getting name called, we need to grow. So like it hurts. It does. When you hear someone say stuff like that, you know, you know, fatty or or whatever it is they want to call you. Right. Like I've been bullied too. It it called names and and things like that. And people make fun of me, but here's the thing is once you realize that their opinion means nothing Hmm. to you, right? Like their opinion doesn't matter what they say about you or you should be, you should be worried about you. And yeah, it kind of hurts. Let it sting for a second, but get over it because the sooner that you can go, they're the one that's hurting, not me. Like I can get out of this situation. I'm going to choose to ignore them. Yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to sting for a second. But the sooner that we can go, man, your opinion doesn't matter to me. 
we can live our life. We can move on and make a bigger impact on someone else. Maybe someone else is going through that same situation and you can encourage them. Hey, don't worry about those guys. Don't worry about them. You're awesome. You were given, uh, uh, you were created uh, with a plan to make an impact. And whether that, whatever your story is, don't worry about them. You worry about you. I promise you, you were, there's a plan for your life and don't worry about those guys. A lot of people talk about forgiveness. What is forgiveness in your words? Oh, it's, you know, the hardest person to forgive in the world is yourself, in my opinion. And I think you'll, once you can realize that you forgive yourself, um, there's a huge weight off your shoulders, right? Because I think we just eat all this stuff up in, the, in our life. We start to build up like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or man, I got all this regret and shame and embarrassment. Right. But once we forgive ourselves, it's a huge weight. Now I've forgiven people. I forgive everybody. Like it's not my job to, to judge. Like I said, so if someone, you know, like my mom or mom's boyfriend, like I had to beat him up, I forgive him for putting us to that situation, but there's a difference between forgive and forget. Yes. So you can forgive in your heart, right? Forgive somebody for, for that in your heart, but that doesn't mean that you need to go back to that situation. Yes. You know, don't forget about those people in regards to like what they did to you. But don't let it burden you down so much. Like, I think if you can say out loud, man, I forgive them. Or if you're in a situation where you're, you're around them and you say, you know what? I forgive you, but I know what you did. I'm not going to forget it. And I can't put myself in a situation around you anymore, but I do forgive you just so you know, because that's more of a bigger blow to them than it is to you. And it is tough. It is tough to forgive yourself. It's tough to forgive abusers. It's tough to forgive those people, yeah. you know, but I think if we can mentally go, I do forgive them, that's a weight off our heart and our shoulders. And mm -hmm. then we just move on, but we don't have to forget, right? I think a lot of people think, well, if, if I'm forgiving them, then I've forgotten what they did. And that's not the case. We can forgive them, but then just don't forget and don't put yourself in situations where that might happen again. And if it does, you got to skip town. You got to get out of that and, you know, get them out of your life as quickly as you can. Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.